0: Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning, as we look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15, remember, beloved, these are, they are, the very written words of God written for you and written for me. John Mark writes, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up, Out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, I can remember after becoming a Christian in college, reading a short poem that resonated with me very deeply. It's called Footprints, or some people know it as Footprints in the the Sand, and no doubt many of you are familiar with it. Perhaps some of you have read it. The author is listed as unknown, and the poem goes like this. Quote, one night I dreamed... I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering, from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. And so I said to the Lord, why weren't you there for me when I needed you the most? The Lord replied, my precious child, I will never leave you. The times when you saw only one set of footprints is when I carried you. Now friends, I can remember being deeply moved by the love of God and Christ Jesus communicated by that poem. Sadly, however, it wasn't long before I heard some theological criticisms of it. It's amazing how seminary can be wonderful and so very destructive at the same time. (laughs) Criticisms that in hindsight are simply absurd. Sadly, I didn't focus on it anymore much to my detriment. But thankfully, I've matured and I've come back around to its beauty and relevance as an illustration that Jesus is with us in the Christian life. And I think we can add something to it today. Because there's another reason for there only being one set of footprints at times, and that's when the Lord Jesus is carrying all of us. And really that's Mark's point in providing the information that he does like he does in Mark chapter 1 about the early ministry of Jesus. Now there are differences in all of the Gospels. Wonderful differences. Interesting differences. It's amazing to see how they have their own unique message and how they complement each other and supplement each other. And Matthew And Mark and Luke are similar in ways. And then you have John. Whereas Matthew and Luke recount much of the same information about the early ministry of Jesus as Mark, they do so with much greater detail. Mark, however, he's much more succinct. For example, Mark tells us absolutely nothing about Jesus' birth and childhood. Not a thing. Instead, Mark goes right into The public ministry of Jesus. I mean, before the reader can catch his breath, Mark launches into the role of John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism by John, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Big events we get with Mark. Big events quickly recounted. In verses 10 and 12, we're introduced to perhaps Mark's favorite word. Do you know it? the word that he uses 41 times, it's the word immediately, the Greek word "euthus," And Mark uses that word to propel his narrative forward with speed and urgency. It allows Mark to capture these big picture events and connect them in very specific and theological ways. And big picture, big picture, what Mark is doing in chapter 1 is he is showing the reader how Jesus of Nazareth is the second Adam and the new Israel, the true Israel. Jesus is the second Adam and he is the new and true Israel and that is so very important. You see, in the Old Testament, Adam and Israel served as types, T Y. P-E-S. Israel and Adam served as types. T-Y-P-E-S. You're going to be quizzed over lunch. Can you remember this? Okay. This is very important. In the Old Testament, there were these types. Okay. Um, We get that word from the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.14. Paul uses this Greek word, tupos, which means type. Paul says, he writes in Romans 5.14, that Adam was a tupos. Adam was a type of him who is to come. Okay, the NIV translates that same verse. Adam was a pattern of the one who is to come, namely the Lord Jesus. So what we see is that Adam, in his role, as representative of all mankind, he was a pattern, he was a type, He was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ and his role as representative of all mankind. Let me read you a quote from one scholar. This is so very interesting. And to understand this background is to understand what Mark is doing in chapter one. One scholar defines a type, T-Y-P-E, this way. A type is an event, a series of circumstances, or an aspect of the life of an individual or the nation of Israel, which finds a parallel and a deeper realization in the life of our Lord. It is a circumstance, an event of an individual or a nation, something that foreshadows a reality that comes to deeper realization in the life of Jesus. Okay, what's the best Old Testament type we can think of. Every one of you know it. The best example of a type in the Old Testament is what? A singular event. The best type, the clearest type, the type we can all identify with in the Old Testament is what? The exodus event. The exodus event was a type of something that would come to pass greater. In fact, the book of Luke, when Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop, Luke tells us that Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elijah about his Greek word, Exodus. So, in other words, the Exodus of the Old Testament, when God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he delivers us from our slavery to sin and death. The Exodus was a type, it was a foreshadowing. Seriously, over lunch. This is your assignment. I want you to try to explain to the best of your ability what a type is. Romans 5.14 calls Adam a type, a tupas, of him who was to come. Explain that. Explain what it is and how it comes true in the life of Jesus. Another fabulous example that's really encouraging, very interesting. Chris Bennett preached on it a few weeks ago. In Matthew 2, we see the life of the youthful Jesus, the infant Jesus was in danger. So God appears to Joseph through an angel and tells Jesus' father to flee to where? Do you remember? To Egypt. Because Herod had said all male children, all male boys, two years and under are going to die. An angel appears to Joseph and says get your family down into Egypt. Joseph, Mary, Jesus go down into Egypt. After Herod died, what did God do? God called them out of Egypt back to the land. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter two. Matthew writes, Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea, Out of Egypt I called my son. So God was doing something in Jesus' life that had a precursor in the life of Old Testament Israel. It's it's mind-blowing. In the context of the Old Testament, what individual was it that was the cause of Israel's going down into Egypt in the Old Testament? What was his name? Joseph. Joseph of the coat of many colors... God used him to save people from certain death. What was certain death? What, was, what were the people of God, what were, what were the Israelites in a sense facing? They were facing a famine. And so God uses Joseph to take the people down into Egypt. They're there for 400 years. Then what does God do to Israel? He calls them out. Calls them to the promised land. That was a type, that was a pattern that gets fulfilled in the life of Of Jesus. In chapter 1, Mark is going out of his way to show the reader how significant Old Testament patterns come to fruition and deeper realization in Jesus. Okay? In our passage, we learned that the wilderness wanderings of Israel In the Old Testament where they faced trial and temptation for 40 years. That's a type of what Jesus would face. What's the context of our passage? Temptation in the wilderness. Okay. What event came before Israel's wilderness wanderings for 40 years? What event preceded that in the Old Testament? The people of God pass through the waters. The people of God pass through the waters of the Red Sea and then they get tested and tried for 40 years in the wilderness. According to Mark, what event precedes Jesus' temptations for 40 days in the wilderness? Jesus passes through the waters of baptism. Let's look at the text. See if you can notice the similarity It's incredible when you understand what's happening here. Mark chapter 1 verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Quote you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Verse 12. The spirit immediately did what? Drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering him. Do you see the type that's fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus? The people of God went through the sea or tried for 40 years They passed through the waters only to be tried in the wilderness. Jesus passed through the waters of baptism. Now he's tried and tested and tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. What's the point? Everywhere that Adam and Israel failed and sinned, everything they got wrong, Jesus got right and made right. Everywhere that Adam and Israel sinned, everywhere they were faithless, Jesus was faithful, Jesus was obedient. Everything that Jesus did, Jesus was becoming more and more qualified to give his life for you and me. Everything that Jesus did, Jesus was qualifying himself to be the second Adam, the better Israel. Everything that he did. Hebrews 2.10 reads like this. It was fitting that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. You might say, well, how can someone who is perfect be made perfect? Well, that Greek word can also be be translated to be made complete. So Jesus was being made complete through his suffering. He was qualifying himself to offer himself up in our place. And going through trial and temptation in the wilderness was a key component in him qualifying himself to represent you and me. In the wilderness, Jesus faced. Again, the reason that Mark doesn't go into all the details that you get in Matthew and Luke is that Mark is not interested necessarily in you Looking at the temptations to see how you can face temptation. Mark is not so interested in how Jesus quoted Scripture back to Satan so that we can learn to quote Scripture back to Satan. That's not Mark's interest here. Those things are important. Mark here is setting up Jesus as the new Israel. The faithful Israel. The faithful son. And in that capacity... Jesus faced the most intense temptations Satan himself could entice him with. Matthew and Luke, they enumerate three temptations that Jesus faced. According to Mark, Jesus faced temptations all throughout the 40 days. What Matthew and Luke do is they they take three temptations and those are te- depictive of all of them, but look at Mark 11:3. Mark 11:3 reads, "And he was in the wilderness 40 days." OK? So he's the new Israel. He's in the wilderness like the Israelites of old were, being tempted by Satan. He's being tempted through that whole time, and he was with the wild animals." Why that comment? He's with the wild animals. Whereas the first Adam faced his temptation in a paradise garden that was so beautiful and wonderful in which he had every luxury. In that context, Adam failed. Here is Jesus in the wilderness with the wild animals. It was dangerous. He faced deprivation. He had everything going against him. He didn't have one of Satan's minions. He had the architect of evil himself constantly enticing him to sin. And he did not succumb. He did not give in. You may be thinking to yourself, but how real were these temptations at the end of the day? How real were these temptations? Jesus is the God-man. You know, like when times got tough, he might could tap into his divinity. And help him out. That is not what he did. Jesus and his humanity faced those temptations. They were absolutely real. More intense than anything we could face. You might say, well, how can the God-man really be tempted? Well, how could the God-man die? Answer me that. How could the God-man die? The God-man died for us. The God-man faced temptation at its worst for us. C.S. Lewis put it this way as really only he can. Like when you understand the significance of the temptation that Jesus faced for us it is overwhelming. C.S. Lewis writes, quote, a silly idea is going around that good people do not know what temptation means. In other words, good people, virtuous people, you know, noble people, they don't really feel temptation like the rest of us. He said that's a silly idea. C.S. Lewis writes, this is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the army by fighting against it, not by giving it in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the temptation until we try to fight it. And Christ... Because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation. Is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Can you imagine? The beautiful, wonderful, loving Lord Jesus. And what it meant for him to face temptation for 40 days. Truly incredible. Hebrews 2.18 reads... For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me say that again. If you hear nothing else from today, take this verse in. Because he himself has suffered when tempted. He suffered precisely because he did not give in. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being Tempted, beloved, in ways we cannot see by the power of the Holy Spirit, the second Adam, the true Israel, the Son of God. He helps us. He enters in with us. He supports us, but you say, I succumb so often. I have these besetting sins that, that never seem to get better. Think of where you would be apart from the work of God by the Holy Spirit. In you. Beloved. We would be lost. He is growing us. He is helping us. He is supporting us. Even when we can't see it. Or feel it. He knows how to help you. Because he's been there. He's faced the worst of it. At it's darkest. And he's come out the other side. Here's another way to say it. I was amazed by this. You're going to appreciate how much I love this. In just a minute. Doing a little research, where did the footprints poem come from? That footprints in the sand, you know, that many people have enjoyed in posters on their wall. Where do you think it came from? If you look, the author is formally unknown. But guess who one scholar takes it back to? Charles Spurgeon, of all people. (laughs) In a sermon that Spurgeon gave in 1880, here's what Spurgeon had to say. You tell me if you can hear any similarity. Spurgeon writes, or he preached, Were you ever in a trouble so strange and so difficult that you felt that such a temptation had never assailed anybody else? I should not wonder if you did. And did you ever walk out on that lonely, deserted island upon which you were wrecked, meaning in your temptation and struggle, and say to yourself, I am alone, alone, alone. And did you suddenly pull up short, as you noticed in the sand, the footprints of a man? I remember very well passing through that experience, and I knew whose feet, had left those imprints. They were the marks of one who had been crucified, for there was the print of the nails in the sand. And so I thought to myself, oh, if he's been here, it is no longer a deserted island because his blessed feet once walked through that wilderness. It has become to my troubled spirit a very garden of God. Beloved, I think that's the inspiration. And I think he got it right. And the only thing I would add to this beautiful imagery and poetry is that when you see just one set of footprints, it's not just relating to us as individuals. Him carrying us. In that wilderness, he carried every single one of us to the end. I guess Martin Lloyd-Jones was right. Two men may face the same temptation. One falls, the other stands. The difference is not in the temptation, but in the heart of the man. Beloved, we see in the temptations that Jesus resisted, the temptations that he trusted God in, we saw the most noble, wonderful, purest, most beautiful heart that has ever existed. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we are amazed at what you're doing, what you're communicating, and how you unfold your word. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who is the deepest realization of all these Old Testament types and patterns. They all come to their fullness in the Lord Jesus who was the second Adam, the true Israel, the new Israel who was faithful and obedient for a faithless dis obedient people, a people just like us. We thank you for his life and his ministry and his true and noble heart. We thank you for him who gave his life for a people like us. We thank you for him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who can relate to us and who knows exactly how to help us in our times of greatest need. Help us to love him and serve him and worship him all the days of our life. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.